All right, welcome. Glad you're here. Good morning. One of the elders and pastors here. Uh, excited to be together. This is my, uh, my first sermon of 2024, so it's going to be extra long. Um, you know, I was thinking on the way up here, Braden, my nine-year-old son, just brought me this and says, you got this. So that extra, extra encouragement could be bad for your lunch plans, okay? Uh, but, you know, I use a stopwatch. And some of you probably wish I used a timer instead. So uh, anyways, it's good to be together. I, I want to start almost with a, a state of the church, if you will. Um, as we start this new year, and I thought Jared did a great job talking about the kingdom of God last week and um, out of the gospel of Mark. But as we, as we gather together, I'm, I'm kind of the, the type of person where I love, a, I love goal setting. I love like the energy behind the newness of a new year, right? It's like, oh, all the things that I've failed to do, I'm going to do them, right? And then you start putting plans into place. And we talk a lot about resolutions. Anybody write some resolutions for the year? It's okay. I have a journal too. Uh, no one. Okay, cool. You guys are going to have a great year. Um, you accomplish nothing. Uh, but we talk a lot about resolutions this time of the year. And when we start talking about what it looks like for a Christian, resolutions don't really work, do they? It kind of becomes like checks and balances. It becomes like, if I do this, then I get that, right? That's what a resolution is. And I think better for us, for followers of Jesus, is for us to think about rhythms. What are the rhythms that you need to have in your life uh, to grow in your Christ-likeness? And over the last few years, we've, we've tried to really push, like, hey, if you're, if you're not reading Scripture daily, do that. Just take little pieces. Like, you don't have to have a certain plan, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of plans that you can follow on the internet, but you should have some kind of a plan. It doesn't have to be you read the whole Bible in a year, although that's a great uh, rhythm to have in your life. I follow the chronological Bible reading plan, which I find to be super fruitful. I've been doing it for like the last 12 years, and I love it. And every year, just go through the story of redemptive history. And, uh, but whatever it is, like figure out your rhythms for a new year. And I would encourage you, whether it's, whether it's prayer or maybe it's uh, showing up to prayer gathering, that's judgment, by the way, if you can't tell on my face, all right? What are the rhythms that we need to include in, into this new year to make us look more like Jesus? And I think it kind of comes down to two things. It's discipleship and mission. And so you're going to hear us talk even uh, today as we look at Acts 16, getting ready for our series in Philippians, a lot about discipleship and mission. And so I think for us is like, what are the things that we want to look like? as a people, as a church? What, what if we were known to be people who have a high, deep devotion of God's word? What would our neighbors think about that? I think their lives would be different because of our commitment to God's word. And so whatever it is, whatever the rhythm is that you need to, to have in your life this year, I just want to encourage you to, to, to strive after Christ-likeness, just like we see uh, Paul in these band of, this band of misfits that get on a boat and go to Philippi uh, together. So... Anyways, we're going to be in Acts 16 today, and if you have a Bible, I just want you to go ahead and hold it up. Can we do that? If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the end of your row. You can have that, okay? You take that home. That's our gift to you. I want you to see what's in God's Word today because it is fruitful for our lives. And so if you're new to the branch, 
We typically preach, preach exegetically, which means we take a book of the Bible and we read every verse. We study every verse. We do that in our family groups and we do it here on Sunday mornings. And so as we get prepared, we're currently we're in a series on the Pauline epistles, particularly the ones that he wrote from prison. So we just finished Ephesians at the end of the semester in the fall, and now we're starting Philippians. And in order to do that well, we're going to spend a couple weeks in Acts to kind of set the, the context for where we're headed. So if you have a Bible, and if you have one of the little hardback ones that's on the end of the row, this is page uh, 870, and I'm going to read from Acts uh, 16. I'm actually going to start in verse 1 because I want us to understand what's going on in Acts for us to better understand our primary text, which is verses 11 through 24 today. But as we start that, kids, if you have your little sheet, your little notebook today, um, you, the first thing, the first point as we look into Acts 16 is that our primary posture as a Christian is a posture of prayer and a posture of praise. And so even the songs that we're singing this morning are pointing towards that. Being, we want to be a people known and characterized by prayer and a people who are characterized by praise. And so let's say prayer and praise together one time. I've never done that before. I thought it would not go well. That was pretty good. See, new rhythms, new you, right? All right, Acts 16. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 5. And then we'll take a quick break and then we'll pick up in verse 6 and then we'll really dive into verse 11, okay? So this is Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Has anybody heard of Timothy before? Yeah, Timothy, this is where we first get introduced to him. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Okay, That's, this is very important, okay? Mom was Jewish, dad was not, okay? Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Quick time out. So if you know your Bible, you know that next 15, they just, the apostles just did this work to say, hey, listen, the, the gospel is spreading to the Gentiles. And so we don't think that they should be circumcised because now the new law that Jesus has brought has done away with the, he's fulfilled it. Okay. And so the first thing that Timothy does when he gets called to now join Paul is they, is he's circumcised. Okay. So if, if you're new to, if you're new to church, just come talk to me afterwards. I'm not going to do a whole lot of street sweeping here on this, but it is interesting that Paul really had a vision. God had given Paul a vision for Timothy's life to go and to serve the Jewish people. And so for him to do that, he had to look and appear to be a Jew. Okay. So that's what's happening here. So Timothy was kind of this uh, hybrid, right? Jew and, and Greek. And so for him to be circumcised was going to allow him to now go into the synagogues to preach the gospel. Okay. Cause the gospel needs to go everywhere, including into the church. Got it. Okay. So let's pick back up verse four. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for, did you like that by the way? First rabbit trail of the year. Okay, cool. All right. They went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches, verse 5, were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Okay, so what's happening? The church is exploding. The gospel is reaching places that the gospel had never reached before, and people are responding in newness of life, and people are being baptized and turning and following Jesus. So Paul meets Timothy. Timothy is going to be a partner in the gospel. We all need partners in the gospel. If you're a member of the branch, you are a partner. We are partners together in the gospel work in the world, particularly in Lumpkin County. And as even we have so many college students, as we slingshot you out into the world, we continue to be your gospel partner no matter wherever God calls you. 
okay? No matter what season of life you're in, we are partners. And so we see this theme with Paul and Timothy's friendship, which is really robust, okay? So Timothy was well-respected, okay? The people, this was one of the things that the scriptures is sure to say, that he's well-respected, he spoke well of, but he's kind of this chameleon, right? He could kind of play both sides of the batter's box, being a Jew and a Greek. But Paul desired Timothy to bring the gospel into the synagogues, hence the circumcision, okay? But the church, as it's growing, we begin to see this idea, really for the first time, of what it looks like to be a missionary, okay? Now, what I want to do is I want to read a a definition from Elliot Clark, um, which is very helpful, but I want to make a clear distinction of what, when we say missionary, what we mean. In a very real sense, all of us are called to be missionaries, yes? We're all sent by, through the the power of Jesus and the Spirit to go to the ends of the earth and do what? Make disciples. Okay, so that is the action, that is the work of a missionary. So in a real sense, if you're following after Jesus, you are a missionary. But we need to make a clear distinction too that there are people who are called out by God to go to a certain place where the gospel has not yet been and they're gonna bring the gospel to that place. Those people are missionaries. And that's kind of what we become, we, we, we would qualify and call a missionary. So do you you understand? You are a missionary today if you're following Jesus. God has sent you to a particular place. UNG, your job, your house, whatever it is that you spend most of your time doing, you are to bring the gospel to that place, okay? But God is also calling some of you to uproot your life and to go move somewhere else and bring the gospel there. Some of you did that this summer. Show of hands, who went somewhere this summer? There's a bunch of you. Don't be scared. We want to know. Way to go. You're setting, blazing a trail for us to follow. But Elliot Clark gives this great definition, definition of what it means to be a missionary. He says, a missionary is a qualified Christian sent out under the authority of a local church to an area of recognized need in order to pursue the work of the Great Commission. So in a very real way, when we bring graduates up here, we are commissioning them for gospel ministry in the world. That's what we're doing. And we'll give them a cute book. Okay, but really what we're trying to do is we want to make sure that, that while you're here, that we're equipping you to do the work of ministry wherever God is calling you. Okay? All right, so that's where we're at. But missionary, uh, uh, what, what does that word mean? It just means sent one. Okay? You are sent one. All right? All right, so we see in this text this missionary quartet. Okay? These four guys. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, who is the author of Acts. Okay, so a lot of times Luke is writing in Acts and he's saying they, and in Acts 16 we see we. So now Luke is joining in on the missionary work. They leave Antioch. Okay, we have a map. You're not going to be able to read the map, but I'm going to put a map up here anyways, just so I can tell my seminary professors that I did it. All right, so Antioch is over here on the right side. You see where it says Syria, the big bold? So that's where they are, and they're heading west. You're not going to be able to see Philippi, but it's on the other side of the map. Trust me, okay? So you've, some of, if you've been around for the branch for a long, for a while, you've heard me talk about maps before. Um, seminary is expensive, and one of the first assignments I had as a seminary student was to color a map. I was like, I'm 24 years old. I'm a grown man. You gave me a color pencil, right? And now I understand why maps are important, because you can see and visualize where Paul is going. So they go up, right? So the, the, the line, if you can see the line, is going north. Why is it going north? We're going to read here in Acts 16, verse 6. Listen to what it says. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So where does that, you know, point A to point B, the quickest route is to go straight? Well, they're doing this. Why are they doing that? 
because the Spirit has told them, do not speak the word in Asia. Now, why? I don't know. Okay? We know that the gospel makes huge movements in Asia, hence the book of Ephesians. But what they're doing is they're going up and around to the place in the middle right up there is Troas. Okay? And that's where they're, they're going to set sail to Philippi, which is a city in Macedonia. Okay? So they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go, in, go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This was quite a journey, okay? Uh, this is, if you ever have the chance to go over to different parts of the world where uh, the Bible is written, it's helpful just to even see the type of dirt that they were having to walk on or sand in the deserts. And so, but they had to hop on a boat, all right? And this is Paul's, this, all of this stuff up here. This is Paul's second missionary journey, okay? So two missionary journeys that we see throughout Acts. This is the second one. All right, so let's jump into Acts verse, Acts 16, verse 11. This is our primary text. And what we're gonna see here through verses 6 through 10 that we just read, is that Macedonia is this larger region, and Philippi is a major city in Macedonia, okay? And so there are four parts that we're going to read over the next two weeks of Paul's ministry to Philippi, the first being the conversion of Lydia, okay? The second being the arrest of Paul and Silas, which we're going to get to today, which is particularly the demon-possessed girl, if you know the story of Acts 16 at all. And then next week, we're going to look at the conversion of the Philippian jailer and then the release of Paul and Silas, okay? And here's the second main point as we jump into the rest of our primary text today, is that the mission of the church, okay, the mission of the church is empowered by God and by Jesus Christ, okay? So in this passage, what we see is we see this really weird little phrase, the spirit of Jesus. Did you see that when I read it? The spirit of Jesus. So what, what is that? It only appears twice in, in all of Scripture, once here, and once, guess where else? In Philippians, okay? So what we see here is a, is a deep Trinitarian doctrine. When you read Spirit of Jesus, think Holy Spirit, okay? And the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world is the will of the Father through the work of the Son by the power of the Spirit, okay? So when we hear God, it is right for us to think through the three persons of the Trinity. One God, three persons. Okay, so when you see Spirit of Jesus, what we're hearing, what I want you to hear, is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, doing the work that Jesus has called to do. Okay, so bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. But the mission of the church is empowered by God in Jesus Christ. Okay, so the conversion of Lydia, Acts 16, verse 11. Let's look at this. Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage. Notice how he put direct voyage. He was tired of going around the bush, okay? We went straight there, all right? We went on a, a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, in a Roman colony. If you like to write in your Bible, circle Roman colony. This is going to wind up playing a huge part, a huge role in next week's text, okay? So Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside 
where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, what's happening here? So typically, Paul, when he's going into a place, he's searching out synagogues. And that's where he would start to do his ministry. And it would start at the synagogue and then filter out the synagogue out into the community. Philippi doesn't have a synagogue. So what, what do we see here? Philippi is an unreached people group. Say unreached people group. Okay? They have not heard the gospel. And yet we see this small little band of women who are gathered together by the river. And what are they doing? They're reading the Bible and they're praying. Okay? So what, how, what classifies a synagogue? This is fascinating. Okay? It took 10 godly men, men, to have a synagogue. So what do we learn about Philippi? We didn't have that. We didn't have that. We had some godly women, and so they would gather down by the river to read the scriptures and to pray, okay? So visualize that, all right? Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. So we see, we, we get, we're going to learn a lot about this lady Lydia, okay? She really is the catalyst for the church being planted in Philippi, okay? So every time when we come to the Philippians text, starting in two weeks, you need to know who Lydia is, okay? So what do we learn about her right here? One is we learn that she's from a place, Thyatira, okay? Lydia from Thyatira. I'm glad I don't live in a place called Thyatira, all right? But what else do we learn about her? We learned that she's a seller of purple goods. So what does that mean? It means that Lydia was really wealthy, okay? Purple was a coveted color, particularly for clothes, okay? I'm looking at, I see very, I see very little purple. I don't know why. But what, so purple was a hard dye to get. So it had some, some sort of shellfish that they had to extract out. They would boil this shellfish, and that's how they would get the purple dye, okay? So it was a really tedious, hard process. Purple was rare, okay? Does that make sense? So because of its rarity, it was coveted. And Lydia was a seller of purple goods. So she had some serious wealth. But what else do we learn about Lydia from verse 14? She was a worshiper of God. Now notice it doesn't say she was a Christian. She was a worshiper of God. So we can know because of where she's from, which was where? Say it. I want to hear you say it one time. Yeah, Thyatira. That she was Greek. She was not Jewish. She was Greek. And yet she had kind of become encaptured the imagination of God's people, the Jewish people. She had kind of joined into this group of people, right? And so Lydia winds up being converted. So she's a worshiper of God. So the, the church gathering together drew her in. Paul comes in, preaches the gospel. The spirit of God moves, and she's saved. That's when you guys would say, yeah, Amen. Okay, Lydia is saved. She is a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. Verse 15, after that, she was baptized. And then what happens? If you have a Bible, what happens next? Her whole household believed and was baptized. After she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Like a good women's ministry, right? They prevail, okay? She says, hey, I want you to come to my house. And, she, and guess what they did? They came to her house. Some of you probably know some Lydia's in your life. 
So what are we, what are we learning here? There, there are two kind of major themes that I think that we see that are also gonna play out with the, the girl, the slave girl here in just a minute, is this idea of wealth, okay? One of the things that we talk a lot about in church is like the root of all evil is what? The love, not money. Money isn't evil. The love of money is evil. Okay, so we see two instances here. One with Lydia, who's extremely wealthy, who's willing to give it all away for the growth of the church. Okay, money is okay. Money can be used by God. Listen, how many of you are hoping to go be as a missionary somewhere this summer? Guess what it takes to go do that? It takes some money. And I remember last summer, we brought a bunch of you up here and you had financial needs to go to wherever you were going. And those needs were met that day. Money is not evil. It can be used by God and is used by God for the spread of the gospel in the world. Okay? But what we'll see with the the owners of the slave girl is they were worried about selfish gain. Okay? They were also wealthy but used for their own good. Okay? And we'll see that here in just a minute. But what I want us to see is that Philippi is an unreached people group. Okay? One of the other things I think it's important here is that she's probably a widow. Okay? Lydia was probably a widow. We don't know that for sure, but she, she likely was because it says her household. If her husband was there, we would hear about her husband. Okay? So she's likely a widow, but the Lord opens her heart. So here's what I want us to see here. It's a supernatural work of God, not the wisdom or persuasiveness of the preacher. You guys, okay? They, my dad said amen. That ultimately draws people to Christ. Okay? It is the supernatural work of God alone that brings people to know Jesus, okay? I could stand up here week after week after week after week, and I can preach, I basically do, preach the same sermon every week, okay? Cheat code, all right? But I can't save you. I confessed this maybe six months ago from right here. I can't save you. I've been doing this for a long time. I haven't saved a single person. I hope to do it for the rest of my life, and I promise you I will never save anyone. If left to myself, some of you may leave, okay? That is the reality. But it takes a supernatural work of God to draw people to Jesus, even for Paul. That's where I find great comfort, okay? That's where I find great comfort. All right, so let's look at Paul and Silas being arrested. This is Acts 16, verse 16. We'll pick up there. I'm going to read down through verse 24, okay? As we were going to the place of prayer, this is back down to the river, where the women were praying, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Okay, this is verse 18. I want you to hear what happens next. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, anybody ever been annoyed? Where are my parents in the room? I didn't mean that. She kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, so it's okay sometimes if you get annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. So what's, what's happening here? This isn't like, he's, he's not angry. This isn't some sort of unholy annoyance, okay? This is, this is righteousness, like, just like Jesus' righteous anger when he flips the table. She's become a distraction, And what's happening with this girl is she's kind of hitched her wagon to Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. And now they think, the people around would think, okay, hold on. If these are the people of the truth, and she's the people of the truth, this girl is crazy. So these people must be crazy. She became a stumbling block. She became a hurdle. 
And so what does Paul do? By the power of the Spirit, he casts the demon out. Now listen to what happens in verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rules. Okay, hold on. Where's Timothy? Where's Luke? Well, if you know your Bibles, you know that they were known by others to be Romans, Greeks, Gentiles. They were safe. It was the Jews that the government was after. Verse 20, and when they had brought them, being Paul and Silas, to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Verse 23, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This doesn't sound very good. This doesn't sound like anything that any of us would willingly sign up for. And yet this is the reality of the gospel going to hard places. So one of the things, um, a few of us last week were in Louisville. Um, There's a conference kind of directed towards college students called Cross Conference. And uh, it's very much centered on global missions. Okay? Mission all right, to the world, is, is courage, conviction, awareness. And one of the little pamphlets that I took home was from David Platt's group, Radical. It says, let the people praise you, okay? It's a 30-day guide uh, about unreached people groups. It's kind of like a devotional, but it has a lot of truths about hard places. And so I was like, well, you know what? My kids don't know anything about hard stuff. So what if we incorporated this into our weekly, weekly rhythms of spiritual formation? And so we're two weeks in. Last week, we spent all week praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. When's the last time you did that? This is not, I don't mean this in any sort of self-righteous way. I think we need to be aware of what's going on in the world, okay? This is why I'm trying to introduce my kids now to hard stuff. So here's what happens, okay? And they're, they're, two of them are in the room right now, so I'll try to do this without looking at them. So we start talking about Afghanistan. And if you're like me, all you know about Afghanistan is terrorism, you don't ever think about the gospel reaching hard places like Afghanistan. Okay, that's just me being honest, me being truthful. That's how I view the place. I know where it is. I don't ever want to go there. And so we're reading this and it's talking about like, what are the hurdles? What are the barriers, the gospel proclamation there? Well, it's threat of violence. It's physical conditions. Hospitals are weak, people are sick. Food is not good. Right? So people are malnourished. And so you're trying to teach a, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. And they're like, that's what we want to do. We want to go there. And you're like, gosh, I wish I could see the world the way that you see the world. And so we come to Acts 16. And we start reading it. And it's like, oh, yeah, Philippi is like Afghanistan. It's an unreached people group. We should go and we should bring the gospel to those people. And then they get arrested. And now we don't want to go anymore. Right? Fear, even in their little hearts, set in because prison's scary, isn't it? And yet we get to the later in this text when, when God does a miraculous works and frees them from jail because the gospel moving forward was more important than their temporary infliction. Okay? And here's my prayer. This is my prayer for my kids. I hope one day they'll go to a hard place like that. This week we're praying for Yemen. Look it up. You can get it. It's online. It's free. Use it. We do it. We're doing it like once a week. We're going to introduce our kids to a new place. We're going to talk about stuff that really stinks. And then the, ultimately the hope of the gospel. One day, every knee will bow. 
including an Afghani's knee, including Yemeni's people's knee. One day the gospel will be made clear, and I hope that maybe some of you, and maybe those two, they would go and be a part of the gospel moving in hard places. Okay? So this is where Paul is. He's in a place like this. They strip him. He's naked. And then they beat the mess out of him. And they throw him in prison. And what does he do? Verse 25 is technically for next week, but I can do whatever I want because I have the microphone. Listen to what it says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were praying and they were praising. Doesn't matter your circumstances. Guys, listen, I know that some of you are walking through just mud right now. I know it. I've heard from you. Our posture as Christians is to be a people marked by prayer and by praise, no matter what. And sometimes it's praising with tears in our eyes. And sometimes it's praising with our hands up high. Sometimes it's praying bent over. Sometimes it's praying while we're moving. That's who we are. We're a people of prayer and a people of praise. When things got dicey for Paul and Silas, I mean, guys, the reality is none of us are ever experienced what Paul and Silas just experienced. None of us will. When things got dicey for them, they prayed and they sang. I, I just imagine, I don't know this, this is not biblical, so I'm going to step away from my Bible for a minute. I bet Paul was a terrible singer. I do. Everything I know about Paul tells me he was horrible about, at singing. Horrible. And yet he never stopped. And the people around him never stopped listening. Because it wasn't how he sounded. It was the passion and the conviction that was coming out as he was singing songs. You know, most of the prisoners in the prison didn't face what Paul and Silas faced. They were just thrown in prison. And yet here are these guys, naked and bleeding and oozing whatever you ooze when you've been beaten. I, don't, I failed biology. And they're singing, and the people around them are looking at them in their current state, and they're listening. And eventually we're going to see the guy who's responsible for them is going to come to know Jesus because of them. So what could he do with you without being beaten, without being bruised, without being in prison? What could he do with us as a church? The last point this morning is that the work of missionaries, and I'm going to use the global missionary here, all of us, the work of the missionary is really important. It's really important. We're all missionaries. Some of us are being called to hard places. Some of us are be being called to go to campus. Some of us are being called to go home to our families who need to hear the gospel. But wherever you are in life, if you're a follower of Jesus, your job is to proclaim the gospel through prayer and through praise. And maybe if I can encourage you with one last thing is that there's no hurdle that's too great for the gospel to clear. No hurdle is too great for the gospel to clear. On Radical's homepage, which is a fancy way of saying their first page on the internet for you older folks, it says this, Jesus calls us to make his glory known among all the nations by making disciples and multiplying churches. Being on mission is not a program, 
but the calling of our lives as Christians. And then right under that, it says there's 3.2 billion people groups. People, sorry. 3.2 billion people that are unreached in our world today. With the internet, they've never heard the gospel. 3.2 billion. Unreached people, though, are not an obstacle for God. He can use a fool like me and a fool like you to reach him because it's the spirit of God who does the moving. We just have to be willing to go, to hop on a boat that is likely going to crash and to set sail for the people who need to hear the gospel. I'm, I'm as, as the lead pastor, I'm gonna do a better job about talking about these people at my house and here in front of you. So maybe every week I'm gonna say, hey, last week was Yemen, this week, I don't know what next week is, I haven't looked ahead yet. And I'm just gonna mention them and we're gonna pray for them. And as you go to communion, like we're about to do now, maybe you just pause. Because there is a Christian right now in Yemen who's meeting in a house or in a prison or in a cave somewhere. I don't know anything about Yemen. They're meeting somewhere in the, in the dark of night to pray and to praise. And they're breaking bread as brothers and sisters and we should pray for them. Okay, so as you go to the table today, would you be thoughtful of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, that there'd be courageous men and women who'd bring the gospel to their neighbors? Would you pray for the men and women in Yemen today, that they would be courageous enough to bring the gospel to their neighbors? That one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning, just even thinking about